It's Film Festival Radio, the show where superstars and future stars happily coexist together. And now, here's your host, Janice Malone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Film Festival Radio Show with me, Janice Malone, here on the final day of April. Yeah, it's been a busy month. Final day of the NFL draft. Oh, my goodness. It's been a busy week. Did anybody indulge, partake, have fun, party, get drunk, whatever, during this week? I did. I didn't get drunk, no, but I did participate in some NFL draft uh, festivities, and it was a lot of fun. I got invited to uh, an event. Uh, unfortunately, we we thought we were going to get some interviews, but it, uh, it was long story on that. But it was just a lot of fun being there, just being among the the fun, the crazy, the wild, the eccentric. It's just a lot of fun. So it's been a busy week here in Vegas, but Vegas is busy every week. But it was extra busy uh, for NFL Draft Week. I'm just sad that it's going to uh, end. But you know, we've got other stuff cranking up as always. It's Las Vegas. That's what we do. That's what we do. And you know what? That's what we do here on Film Festival Radio Show. We've got some guests. As always, we have guests who have uh, documentaries and films and television shows premiering this week uh, from PBS to MTV to the Smithsonian Channel. We just have them all right here assembled together right here on Film Festival Radio Show. So I'm going to take a break. I'm going to get me some water and uh, come back with our first guest. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back in about 30 or 40 seconds. Okay, before we get to our first guest, I want to share with you this audition announcement that just came in. And I think it is ideal, especially for people who live here in Las Vegas. There is a major national cable network that is casting for a new reality show. And they're looking for people who have hospitality work experience. If you work at a five-star upscale restaurant or hotel or resort or similar places that are all, it needs to be five-star, perfect for Las Vegas. Well, this new TV uh, reality series, they're looking for people who are bilingual, speaking English and Spanish and have a good amount of experience in the ho the uh, hotel, hospitality, resort, upscale restaurant industry. So this show, again, that if you are a concierge or a bartender, a server, uh, maybe work at front desk, guest relations, host or hostess, they are looking for you. Again, make sure it is a five-star business that you are an employee of. And they're looking for people who live both in the United States and in Mexico. So again, if you are bilingual, you speak Spanish and English, that is a major, major requirement to be considered. So if you have experience of working in a five-star resort, hotel, or restaurant, or some kind of five-star upscale hospitality business, they are looking for you, the producers are. And what you need to do is email 
your name, your contact information, two or three pictures of, of what you look like. You got selfies there and a brief bio about you, what it is that you do at this upscale industry where you work. And uh, just keep it short and email it to resortclubcasting at gmail.com. And that's uh, resort. R-E-S-O-R-T, clubcasting at gmail.com. And you might get selected. And if you don't have a pen and paper right now, you can email me info at filmfestivalradio.com. And I'll be more than happy to send you that information. And please submit, try out. You might get selected to be on this new reality show. We'll be right back with our first guest right after this. Okay, everybody, we are back here with more Film Festival Radio Show with me, Janice Malone. My nose kind of itching there. Uh, anyway, tomorrow night, uh, May 1, on the Smithsonian Channel, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern and Pacific Time, there is a very powerful documentary that will be premiering. Again, it's on the Smithsonian Channel, 8 p.m. Uh, our time here in Vegas and also East Coast time. And this is a, it's a very disturbing documentary. It is executive produced by Oprah Winfrey. The title of it is The Color of Care. And it is an, an original documentary in association with uh, Oprah's Harpo Productions. And what it does, it traces the origins of racial health care disparities uh, and practices that really began in this country all the way back to American slavery and unfortunately is still continuing all the way up until 2022. This documentary will have just moving, powerful testimonies from people who lost loved ones during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, uh, talks and comments from frontline medical workers uh, who were just overwhelmed in hospitals, expert interviews, just a lot of very powerful data to back up uh, the premise of the documentary. And it just, what it does, the film just exposes the devastating toll of racism that has been going on for decades. And it's really just embedded into the American healthcare system. So that brings me to our featured guest for this segment. Uh, our guest is Dr. Neil Shaw, and he is one of the featured uh, presenters uh, who's a part of this documentary. And again, it airs on May 1, tomorrow night on the Smithsonian Channel at 8 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m., of course, Eastern Time. I don't know what to say. It's just very, it's very sad. It's very tragic. But um, let's talk to Dr. Shaw to get more insight as to um, the making of the, the documentary and how, uh, just a preview of what we will be seeing tomorrow night during the uh, the documentary film. So let's bring Dr. Shaw on right now. Okay. And you have Dr. Neil Shaw online. Well, good morning, Dr. Shaw. Good morning, Janice. How are you? I am great. I've been very anxious to talk to you about this uh, upcoming new documentary, uh, The uh, Color of Care, premiering on May 1 on the Smithsonian Channel, um, 8 o'clock Eastern and Pacific Time. I understand this uh, very important film uh, documentary is ex executive produced by Oprah Winfrey. So uh, we know it's going to be good. Now, The Color of Care um, is an original documentary tracing and 
just digging into some very scary problems within the American healthcare system. Give us the, the, the whole details about this film. You bet. Um, so it's a powerful documentary, and it's, um, it was inspired by uh, a family that Oprah read about uh, that, um, you know, they, 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 they brought a loved one uh, to three different hospitals and then were dismissed from each of them uh, at the height of the pandemic. Uh, and ultimately, um, uh, this person this person died. And, and so th that was sort of the lead into examining more deeply um, how people of color suffer from just systemically substandard health care and trying to understand why. Now, you yourself as a globally recognized uh, doctor expert in health care, were you surprised at the findings that this documentary has revealed? I don't think surprised is the right word. I think that, uh, you know, there were long-standing inequities in our healthcare system, um, particularly along racial lines. But what COVID did is it took all of them and it threw them into a pressure cooker. It made everything worse. And it also really just brought into stark relief, I think, things that had been long-standing problems. Um, and, um, yeah, it was just gut-wrenching to see. Uh, and also, I think, because it made honestly, racism so visible in our country, hopefully it made it more possible to have direct conversations about what's actually going on. Now, uh, the, the documentary, again, will be airing on May 1, 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific time on the Smithsonian Channel. Um, it really shows how racism is just deeply embedded and, and rooted in the U.S. healthcare system. I know the answers, more than one, are very multi-layered and complex, but since you are recognized as a an global expert on designing solutions that help improve healthcare, can you just give us a little bit of an answer as to where do you begin, where does the system begin to dismantle this problem? Sure. Um, and I'm not even sure that this requires all of that expertise, but it's one of the things that I learned uh, early in my career as a professor is that 95% of solving a problem is just defining it correctly. And you can't define a problem unless you name it. So for a long time in the American healthcare system, we've known that there are racial disparities, that people of color and black people in particular have worse healthcare outcomes. But we haven't been... Uh, intentional enough about really interrogating the reasons why and naming the actual problem, which is not racial disparities, it's racism. And so are there any, you know, as, as people are watching this, especially people of color are watching this documentary, um, what can people do, people of color especially, at, after you watch something like this, it just, it makes you want to cry. It makes you feel hopeless, uh, just an array of emotions. So what can people do of color of, you know, everybody you sooner or later is going to have to go to the doctors for a, a myriad of reasons. So what, what do you suggest? I appreciate that question so much, Janice, because the purpose of the film isn't to terrify people. Um, it's really in, intended to be a, a, honestly a hopeful film that, um, reflects the degree to which not only, um, I mean, of course, it, it, it shows some terrible tragedies 
that result from racism that became very evident during the pandemic, but it also demonstrates a number of leaders within healthcare institutions, including the American Medical Association, um, speaking very clearly about what the actual problem is that has to be addressed. And I think that um, my, my, my hope is that through not just the film, but the whole campaign around the film, the dialogue that we're having now, uh, it, uh, you, you can't fix what you don't see and you can't see what you don't name. So I, I do think that's a really important first step. Now, you mentioned campaign. I understand that the Color of Care uh, is launching a very aggressive um, campaign that will involve medical, nursing schools, healthcare workers, policymakers. Tell us some more details about the campaign. I think that's one of the most, uh, you know, exciting parts of the, of the film is that it's really recognizing that this is a watershed moment, um, much in the way that the George Floyd murder was, uh, you know, two summers ago now, uh, in thinking about policing in our country. Uh, policing is one of the leading indicators of structural racism in the United States, and honestly, healthcare is the other, uh, uh, where we need to recognize that, um, you know, a bad system will beat a good person every time. And so you can have really good people, really well-intended people, really well-trained people um, delivering services. But if the institution uh, isn't set up to treat all people fairly, um, you know, you get, you get outcomes that are unfair and equitable. Now, I also understand, which this is very exciting to see, that a part of the campaign will also be engaging historically black colleges and universities, uh, HBCUs for short. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that in our remaining few minutes here. You bet. Yeah, I mean, I think um, during every inflection point in social progress, um, you know, I, I'm 40 years old, so uh, I don't know if that's old or young, but that that's long enough to have seen significant social progress in my lifetime. And this feels like that's why I call it a watershed moment. Um, it's going to take collective action and it requires um, working with HBCUs and emerging leaders and young people of color uh, and black people in particular to uh, really understand what these issues are, be able to name them uh, and to be part of the solutioning. And it equally requires reaching out to uh, healthcare institutions and making sure that we're training our nurses and our doctors differently and really training them uh, to take a position of not defensiveness, but humility in examining the role of racism in our healthcare institutions. Since you've been on the front line mm -hmm. in healthcare, as well as uh, a featured participant in this film, do you, is there hope? I mean, there's such a monumental problem and it's so deeply rooted. I mean, what kind of hope do you see with this being resolved? I see a lot of hope. I see, um, you know, um, institutions are shaped by the people at the top. And one of the things that gives me the greatest hope is that we're starting to see more people of color, uh, more people who have lived in embodied experience with these issues in key leadership roles um, in a way that I've never seen in my career. Uh, I think that's been different in the last couple of years. The other thing that gives me a lot of hope is that we still live in a very segregated country where your zip code can be a really large determinant of what you have access to. And I think that that is also starting to change, uh, not necessarily the segregation, but the fact that, um, you know, uh, healthcare is starting to enter into the digital era. And, um, you know, part of the promise 
of telehealth and things like that that really cropped up during the pandemic is that physical proximity shouldn't be act, you know, a barrier to what you have access to. Um, and that's been a big part of my own professional focus these days. I'm a big, big fan of telehealth. I've used it now a couple of times. I really love it. It's very, very convenient. Well, anyway, yeah. Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for giving us some insight about The Color of Care premieres again Sunday, May 1, 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific on the Smithsonian Channel, executive produced by Oprah Winfrey. So again, Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for giving us this information. You bet, Janice. Thank you for having me. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Neil Shaw. Uh, before we get to our next guest, I want to quickly tell you a little bit about Dr. Shaw's background that I didn't have time uh, to get to because we were trying to get him on board there. Uh, Dr. Neil Shaw, he is the Chief Medical Officer at Maven Clinic, and he's also a professor at Harvard Medical School. He is listed among the 40 most smartest people in the healthcare industry by Becker's Hospital Review. Dr. Shaw is globally recognized as an expert in designing solutions that improve healthcare and his work to build equitable, trustworthy systems in healthcare have been profiled by the New York Times, Good Morning America, and several other major media outlets. Very well-versed uh, doctor. So again, the uh, documentary is The Color of Care, and it will be airing tomorrow night on the Smithsonian Channel. I suggest that you check listings in your area to make sure that you've got the right time slot. Okay, so that brings me to our next guest here. What would you do? Or, or, or are you in a secret relationship? Let's just bring it out there. Are you in a secret relationship? Are you? Do you know someone who's in one? Speak up. Come on. Come on. It's time to tell the truth. Okay. Well, if you are, or maybe if you're thinking about it, know about that. MTV has a new uh, docuseries and it's titled Help. I'm in a secret relationship. Yes. And it will, uh, it's already premiered. It premiered earlier this week, this past Tuesday, uh, 9 p.m. our time, Eastern time on MTV again. It's, uh, it's a docu-series that uncovers the, this, this often heartbreaking stories of people who have been, uh, emotionally manipulated into keeping their relationships a secret. Sometimes manipulation is involved, but sometimes people are just being sneaky. Well, each episode, the two hosts, they're going to bring these couples face to face to expose the shocking truth behind these relationships, the, the, the partner, whomever is involved in the relationship, that's a secret. And so whenever these relationship secrets are revealed, the show will then find out Will this couple be able to stay together? Will they need to split up or just what will happen? Well, that is the job of our two guests that are 
coming up here in a couple of seconds here, actually 20 seconds. Uh, let me tell you about the host. The host of Help, I'm in a Secret Relationship are Travis Mills and Ronnie Jones. I'll tell you something about Travis that you may already know, maybe for those who do not. Travis Mills is a recording artist. He's an actor and he's an on-air personality who hosts his own show on Apple Music Beats One. Uh, he's also, he has a hit podcast, ADHD with Travis Mills. He's also the co-host of MTV's docuseries Ghosted, Love Gone Missing, along with Rachel Lindsay. And if that's not enough to keep him busy, he is also the lead singer and guitarist in the pop punk rock band Girlfriends, which um, they have performed. They've got albums and such, but they have... Uh, traveled and toured uh, last year with Machine Gun Kelly and Mod Son. So yeah, Travis is a busy guy. And he is also uh, lending his talents to a his social media platform, which has over 5 million plus visitors, followers, people who catch up and check him out. It's 5 million plus. This is a busy guy. And so that brings me to his, uh, well, they're both co-hosts together, Ronnie Jones. Uh, Ronnie is an actor, a writer, host, and an activist. And Ronnie made her professional acting debut as Sky Layton in the Golden Globe-nominated Netflix television series, The Politician, starring uh, Ben Platt, Gwyneth Paltrow, Jessica Lange, Judith Light, and Bette Midler. But Check this out. Before she became a full-time actress, Ronnie worked for four years in the Department of Homeland Security. Now, that's a big switch in, in your careers. But anyway, uh, I understand they are on board. Uh, so let's bring on Travis and Ronnie to tell us more about MTV's new show that just premiered last Tuesday, Help, I'm in a Secret Relationship. Let's bring them on right now. Travis and Ronnie on the line. Well, hello, Travis and Ronnie. Hello. There you both are. Yeah, I'm here. I, I've, I have been waiting. In fact, I've wanted to talk to you two about this show before it was even presented because I read about the show. Help! I'm in a secret relationship on MTV premieres tomorrow night. Okay, let's just jump right in here. Um. So, so are these people... <laughs> I mean, I got so many questions. So a little time here. So this is a very unique show, a topic for a show. So these are people that are in secret relationships. Now, have they just been plain old sneaky, or is there reasons why they had to keep the relationship a secret? I mean, there's always a level of secrecy, right? And it's in sneakiness when you are actually being hidden. So what we have here are. Uh, is a couple, and one person in the relationship is being hidden by the other. They have not met friends. They have not met family. They are completely uh, missing from their social media presence. Um, these are couples that have been together for two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years uh, oh. who, who potentially live together, want to start families together. And the only issue is that one person basically just does not exist. Um and Travis and I are here to help these people get the answers that they so rightly deserve and to bring both parties together and have a, a constructive conversation in hopes that they'll stay together. But that sometimes is not always the case. So it's a lot. It's a lot. Of, it's a roller coaster ride for sure. 
It is a lot. So now, um, is anybody married? Any couples? Have they got a, a family somewhere else, maybe another country or, or what? I mean, I will say that one of our episodes this season does deal with uh, a secret family. I'm not going to say which one. Um, but oftentimes, these are couples who are looking to take the next step, right? Whether that's move in together, whether that's get engaged or, you know, they've been engaged and they're ready to get married, but there's this one thing holding them back. That's where Ronnie and I come in to hopefully repair the relationship, have them walk away from this experience stronger than ever. And they can walk down the aisle with no secrets. Yeah. That's not good to start off a relationship with, with some secrets. <laughs> it just, it just kind of doesn't work out too well here. So that would be cool. That's so funny. I mean, this is a serious matter, but it is kind of funny if you think about it. So, you know, I know you, you two can't reveal too much, but is there any particular secret that once you, as the host, heard about it, that it was just so shocking you had to just go get a beer or something? I mean, anything like that? I mean, we had a couple episodes that dealt with, like, some financial things, and there was one reveal that I was just like, are, are, are you kidding me? Um, it's something that I probably would not have been able to recover from. <laughs> so I hope the viewers, when the viewers get a chance to watch that episode, I'm sure they'll know that what I'm talking about. But, yeah, we've had several reveals that it's just like, are you kidding? How could you not see these signs or... Or why were you even embarrassed or fearful to reveal that to your partner? It kind of runs the gamut, you know? Have there been any couples uh, on, on the shows that have secret children that maybe the rest of the family don't know about or, or anything like that or what? Um, I think... Uh, we definitely deal with that with some a couple that that there may be a, a a family secret of some kind. We can't get get too in the weeds because it will definitely spoil it. But yeah. there are some you know outside family members that are presented with certain cases. Ah, uh, gosh, it just amazes me how <laughs> people can just you know get up, have coffee and toast every morning, and just have. These lives, these secret relationships is just interesting. But it, you guys are proof with this new show that it does exist. It's um, interesting. So, yes, it's, it's shocking. And, and you feel for these people because obviously the, the people that are being hidden, you know, are at their wit's end. Otherwise, they're, they would not welcome a camera crew into their lives and be this vulnerable for the world to see if, first of all, if they weren't dedicated to the relationship and actually love their partner, um, but to be in a position where they kind of felt like they're back into a corner and need answers. So, you know, it, it's a lot. And hopefully when people see it, maybe they'll realize, wait a minute, am I in a secret relationship? <laughs> maybe I need some help, you know, so we'll see. Now, uh, are there or will there be uh, any professionals on as far as like psychiatrists, psychologists, relationship, uh, medical expert types or, or what? Yeah, I mean, we have a therapist on set with us, you know, every single day, every place that we go. So there, there are professionals available, like, you know, if anyone needs to talk about anything or, you know, anyone is struggling with something, um, obviously you know, mental health is first and foremost 
for us and, and at the very front of our minds. That's really good to know. Yeah, that's very good to know. I tell you, MTV is just cranking out some of the most interesting uh, real life reality shows that I, I never would have thought of a topic such as this. But hey, leave it to MTV. They did. Uh, again, it's help. I'm in a secret relationship. Uh, premieres tomorrow night. So what what's going to happen with you two? Are you having a big viewing party or, or what? <laughs> that could be determined. I don't know. I, I guess I should probably get to planning that, huh? Yes. Right. Thank you. I'm definitely going to like sit and um, um, uh, watch it with, with my wife and see what her thoughts and see if she, she did, thinks I did a good job and see what her take is because I kind of follow her lead on a lot of things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you got almost 24 hours here. So, you know, order up the pizza, the, the whatever. And you guys have a great, great will, viewing party. We, we will do this. <laughs> okay, wonderful. And lastly, uh, speaking of viewing, is there going to be any live uh, tweeting, a live Instagramming, any, any of that tomorrow night or what? I'm definitely going to do I'm a little bit more active on um, Instagram, so I will be doing probably some, uh, not necessarily a live, but uh, posting on my story, different parts of the episode and things like that. And people can find me at uh, Ronnie underscore Jones on Instagram, R-A-H-N-E underscore Jones, if they want to watch. Okay. What about I'll you? I'll be tweeting and posting about the whole thing all night, so okay. come and shop. And how can they find you, Travis? Uh, just my name, at Travis Mills, okay. uh, everyone on social. Okay, great. Well, Travis, Ronnie, thank you both for chatting, giving us some backstory about help. I'm in a secret relationship tomorrow night on MTV, 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific again on MTV. Thank you both. And I'm definitely going to be tuning into this. I'm just nosy. So <laughs> let's just see. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Okay. Talk to you guys, hopefully, uh, next project that you have. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Film Festival Radio with Janice Malone will be right back after this. Okay, we are back here after a quick break. Want to remind you that you're listening to me, Janice Malone, here on Film Festival Radio Show. And we have our final segment here. Uh, what a great film documentary on tomorrow night, May 1st, of course. PBS, along with uh, iTunes and several other national platforms, will be premiering a new documentary that's titled Theirs is the Kingdom. And we have the filmmaker who will be uh, joining us shortly here. Let me tell you just a tiny bit about uh, Theirs is the Kingdom. As I said, it's a documentary film that follows the rare creation of a contemporary fresco mural painting inside of a church, a small sanctuary church in Asheville, North Carolina. It, uh, again, it's, it's, um, this frescoes, I should say frescoes are paintings and murals that we're 
used to seeing back in the ancient times, the Sistine Chapel and the Last Supper and Da Vinci and, you know, in that era and eras earlier. But in this film, uh, the artist who has created this fresco painting. This is a painting, a fresco that is not about the rich and famous, the powerful, which, uh, you know, people that are, that's got a lot going on for them. No, no, no. This fresco is about people in uh, the Asheville, North Carolina area who have been battling homelessness, addiction, and mental illness and other serious social problems and mental uh, problems. They're just regular people who are having a hard time in life. So this very talented artist decided to do this fresco and other paintings about these regular people just looking for a better chance at life. And so our guest, uh, filmmaker Christopher Zaluski, very, very talented, multi-talented, I should say. He's a journalist. He's um a filmmaker, a professor. He'll give us all the details about what all he's doing in life there. It's just a lot, as most of our guests are. But uh, again, this film, there, Theirs is the Kingdom, will be premiering, as I said, nationally on PBS's uh, national platform, along with iTunes and other several uh, television platforms starting tomorrow night. So uh, if you are uh, very interested in this topic. It's such a compassionate, touching uh, documentary film, and it brought me to tears in certain areas, but uh, it's very well done, of course. So let's bring on filmmaker Christopher Zaluski to tell us more about the making of his new film, Theirs is the Kingdom. So let's bring on Christopher right now. Okay, everybody, we have our next guest on board here. He's an award-winning filmmaker, journalist, and also the assistant professor at Wake Forest University's documentary film program. I'm just so pleased to talk to you, Christopher Zaluski. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, Christopher, you have this amazing documentary film uh, titled Theirs is the Kingdom. Uh, the film is streaming nationally on the PBS national platform, iTunes, and uh, I understand we'll be launching on several national platforms starting on May 1. So uh, I saw the film uh, last night. I was just so touched by it. So tell everyone, Theirs is the Kingdom is the title. Give us a synopsis of what this film, this documentary is all about. Sure, sure. So the, the film, it's a feature-length documentary. It follows the creation of a traditional fresco mural in the sanctuary of this small church. And, and you know, when I say fresco, your, your listeners' minds may go to, like, the Sistine Chapel or, yes. um, you know, maybe the Last Supper by Da Vinci. It's a really old art form that isn't really practiced much anymore. But there's this community of folks in western North Carolina, which is where I was living at the time when, when I started production, um, that are still practicing this this art this art form this technique and so the film kind of follows the uh, the creation of the fresco explores this technique um, but also a big part of the film is that the the fresco itself is depicting real people who live in Asheville North Carolina which is where the fresco is painted uh, who are battling homelessness addiction mental illness and so you're kind of 
you know, you're seeing how the fresco is created, but you're also meeting the people who are painted in the fresco throughout the film. Now, I understand, as you mentioned, that at the time you were living in the area, but how did you first connect, get connected with this homeless organization uh, Hayward Street? How did you first get connected mm -hmm. with them? Yeah, Hay Hayward Street Congregation. It's a, it's a church um, kind of on the perimeter of downtown Asheville. Um, I had known about the church. I was not a member there or, or anything, um, but it was actually the subject of mine from a from a previous film that I had made, she told me about this fresco that they were thinking about painting in, in their sanctuary. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And she had said there was some funding controversy surrounding it. And I thought, well, I'm going to go down and just kind of talk to the pastor. And, and they were doing kind of like this public talk back about the, about the artwork. And in the first, you know, 10 minutes of hearing um, the, the pastor talk about what the artwork meant to him and what it meant to, you know, the symbolism of it for the church, I was, I was hooked. And I thought that, um, you know, there's more of a story here than just this controversy. And in fact, there certainly was, I mean, the funding controversy is just a blip in the film. It's much more about, um, you know, the symbolism of what this, this painting represents and hopefully uh, what it gets people to think about when they see it. Now, uh, that's that journalist part of you that I can smell a story mm -hmm. here. <laughs> I know what that is. Yeah, like. right. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Well, now, the featured uh, artist that's doing the, the actual artwork of the fresco is Christopher Holt. Tell us some more about him. Yeah, so Christopher is, um, I mean, he went to, he, he's from the Western North Carolina region. He grew up in a town not too far from Asheville. Um, he went to UNC Chapel Hill, the Tar Heels, to, to study art, and um, he eventually found his way back to the mountains of North Carolina and found this guy named Ben Long, and Ben Long is kind of viewed as, as kind of the, the godfather of this contemporary fresco movement, certainly in North America, and he studied under Ben for a while. He actually served as an apprentice under Ben for you know nine or ten different large-scale fresco murals in this Haywood Street mural, this was the first one that he himself was the principal artist uh, uh, for. Okay. And so, um, you know, and that was another part of the production, too, is when I met Christopher, him and I hit it off immediately, and I thought, you know, for me, I, I you know, I always say documentary filmmaking is, is uh, about interpersonal relationships as, as much as it is about anything. And so I, I immediately got along with him, and I thought, well, if I'm going to follow a three-year art process, I better do, I better enjoy myself, you know, who I'm following. And so, um, there's a really a great guy and a wonderful artist. And so I feel, I feel really fortunate to be connected with him. Well, his work just, uh, brings tears to your eyes to see, uh, as I don't want to give away too much, but, uh, yeah. to see the people, the, the, the subject matter of the people as they look at the, the, the artwork of themselves is just so touching. And your compassion i mean you approach this topic of film with so much compassion and care it's from the very first uh opening it, it really is and of course Asheville is such a beautiful area anyway so you had all that artistry versus natural beauty so you had a lot of good canvas to work with there yeah right well thank you i appreciate you saying that it was you know when i when i think about an idea and kind of vet it for whether or not it it would be a you know quote good documentary um certainly visual appeal is at the top of the list and so this this uh film idea had all those elements but you know from Asheville to the the artwork to you know to all of that but 
Um, you know, one thing I will say is that this was a different film for me from what I've done in the past. I, and one of the big things, or one of the big reasons why, um, is that the, the art process is so slow that I would be sitting in a room a lot of times with the artist and with one of the models that he was sketching for two, three, four hours sometimes. And so it, it really forced me to kind of put that journalism side of me, um, aside and, and I didn't have the, the list of questions or the agenda or kind of the, you know, what's the objective of this, of this filming session as much as I would just sit with folks for hours and just, and just hear their stories. And so it was a, it was a pretty powerful process for me too, as a filmmaker. And I'm, I'm I hope that comes across in the film. It did with me for sure. Definitely so. Oh, great, great, great. uh, Again, going back to the the synopsis of this film, it is basically about this very talented artist doing frescoes of people who are having, I don't know about now, but were having a very hard time in life, homelessness, probably addiction issues as well, um, at the Haywood Street Congregations uh, Church. So having said that, was it a challenge to get these people to trust you as a filmmaker to share their stories or, or what was that like? Yeah, it, it, it was. I mean, certainly for a few of them, there's about there's about 30 people depicted in the actual fresco mural. So you're thinking, you know, 20 feet long, 10 feet tall. This is a, this is a large scale, scale mural. We couldn't include all of those folks in the documentary. We have about 11 of them. Um, but yeah, for many of them, and I totally get it, you know, I'm, I'm used to being behind the camera, you know, and and a lot of times people share really, you know, uh, tragic, uh, stories with, with me. And, and it, I just am constantly amazed at, um, at how vulnerable people are willing to be. And so when I ask somebody to be part of a film, uh, and they say, no, that, that is completely understandable response. Right. And so a, a big part of this process was kind of, you know, going to the church, without a camera and meeting people without putting a camera in their face at first and just talking with them and, you know, hearing their concerns, hearing their stories. And, and if they needed more time, then I would give them more time. If they didn't want to be in the film, then they weren't in the film. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was trying to be uh, pushy with it uh, by any means. And, and they were also kind of getting it on, on, on both sides. And by that, I mean that Christopher had to convince a lot of folks to be in the fresco. And then here I am saying, Hey, do you also, want to be part of a documentary. And so sometimes it took, you know, sometimes it took a little while to convince people, but fortunately we, we had a lot of time. It was a three year, a three year art process. So we had it, we had the time. Um, and a lot of it was just about, you know, gaining, gaining people's trust and, and, uh, and getting them to, to open up. Now, uh, were you finished with all filming before the pandemic shut down or, or how did that work? Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the the film is kind of bookended by this scene at the North Carolina Museum of Art, um, which actually, as a side note, is where we're screening the film this Saturday. Um, but we um, we had that filming session, which was the last one for the whole for the whole movie on March fifth, twenty twenty. So it was it was right before everything shut down. I mean, we're talking four days before the NBA canceled its season and things really shut down was our very last filming session. And so we really lucked out in that way. Um, we probably had maybe two or three more shoots that we would have liked to get, but 
really we got them everything we needed in the, and especially the the main scene in my mind right before everything shut down so we really mm-hmm. lucked out yeah you really did there um timing was perfect now as i mentioned earlier theirs is the kingdom the documentary is streaming nationally on the PBS platform, iTunes, and other platforms starting May 1. What is it like um, having your project? Because, I mean, this is not, I want to mention this to listeners. This is not your first rodeo with national successful documentaries because um, you did the film Wagon Masters, which was acquired by PBS, Amazon, and other um, platforms. So you're used to this. But for this particular topic and this particular film, what has it been like having all of the national attention? Because homelessness is a very unfortunate sometimes, sometimes it can be a very controversial, touchy uh, topic with some people, politically speaking. So what's this been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's, it's been a great process, really. I mean, it, it's had um, a lot more success compared to other films in terms of community screenings. We've done a lot of individual, you know, local screenings, either at um, churches or with, with organizations that usually deal with um, homeless populations or what have you. And so that's really been a great part of this film uh, that I haven't had as much success with in the past is, is doing a lot of these grassroots screenings to get the film in front of people who, who it really resonates with. Um, but I will say that it's, it's been a great process because so many people have been, you know, really receptive to the film and the messages in the film and, and different people will take away different things, you know, depending on where they are in their life. I mean, I, we do a lot of faith-based screenings because there are elements of faith in the film um, we also had a pretty successful film festival run that is, you know, very much not a faith-based uh, avenue, and so it's been a, it's been great, and I'm, and I'm excited um, that it keeps keeps rolling out, and I, I really hope that it encourages people. If you're ever in Western North Carolina, if you're ever in Asheville, to go by the church and see the fresco in real life. I mean, I tell people that I can't. The film cannot do justice to the real artwork, you know, when you actually go in and see this, you know, beautiful work of art, and so. I hope it encourages people to go check it out in person. These uh, stories about the people uh, within the film are very personal. Uh, I was wondering, did making this project, did it impact you and your personal life in any way? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, I I think, you know, any, uh, uh, especially with documentaries, I think, you know, most filmmakers kind of take something from every project that they work on. you know, I mentioned it a little bit ago in terms of having that journalist mindset of having questions and everything, you know, everything had to be just so, uh, that certainly had to be adapted for this film. And I, and I think that I learned a lot of lessons, you know, from that. Um, I also think, you know, I mentioned this earlier, there's, you know, you have a storyline, which is the creation of the fresco. You have the storyline, which is the model stories. There's also a third storyline, which is kind of the theology of Haywood street. Um, you know, I was raised Catholic in Northeast Ohio, when I left, um, when I left home to go to college, I kind of stopped going to church and I had a lot of, you know, questioning when it came to my faith. I, I, I think that this film kind of showed me, um, or this church at least showed me a way of living, you know, faith through action, which is something that really resonated with me with this church. And so I think that's another thing that, that I, that I'll take from this project as well. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things too, where I'm still so in the moment that maybe, in a couple months, I'll reflect on it a little bit more, but th- those are definitely two things that come to mind. 
Well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, among your many talents, uh, being a filmmaker, journalist, that you are also assistant professor at Wake Forest University's documentary film program. How in the world do you balance all of this? What What is your schedule like on a typical day? <laughs> I, I take on I take on projects that take a long time to finish. I guess oh, that would okay. be the <laughs> that would be the best way to say it. But yeah, I mean the the crazy thing was because of the schedule of this film, in particular with the last shoot kind of wrapping up right before COVID, um, I had a lot of time to be at home and and to edit the film. And you know, uh, <laughs> it, it, I'm not going to say it was a silver lining, but it definitely kind of lent itself to the post-production phase of the film. And so I was teaching from home because we didn't have any classes in person and I was editing from home. And so it just kind of, uh, I don't know, this one kind of worked out in a weird way because of that. Well, now, uh, before we wrap this up, is there one particular story or person within Theirs is the Kingdom uh, that still resonates with you or, or what? Yeah, I, there's there's a lot of the stories that do. I, I mean, I, if I had to pick one, I would probably pick Jeanette, who is um, she's kind of a, a a sentinel figure of the painting itself, and she's also a big part of Haywood Street. And um, she has just a really wonderful story where she talks about volunteering at the church and somebody coming up to her and saying, "You know, how would you know? You've never been homeless." And she has this line back to the woman where she says you can't say what is a homeless look because there's a lot of people who look homeless that, you know, don't look like they're homeless. And for me, when she said that, that was always kind of like a, a guiding statement, a production philosophy in the film is that we're all going through something. We're all battling something. And so we have to, you know, approach one another with, with love and empathy and an open heart and an open mind. And I thought that Jeanette does such a great job um, kind of saying that in the film. And so do you know of any uh, updates of some of the people from the film? Uh, what are they doing now or, or have their lives improved or changed or do you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I stay um, updated with a number of them. I mean, I know that um, a number of folks have moved from Asheville. A number of folks, unfortunately, have passed away. Oh. Um, you know, Jeanette, who I just mentioned, is still very active in the church. They actually... Um, one of the, they, the church itself just launched this big uh, campaign to build uh, affordable housing um, apartment complex in downtown Asheville to, to get people off the streets into stable housing. And she's on the board of that project at Haywood Street. Um, but yeah, I stay in touch with them as much as I can. And some of them are easier to stay in touch with than others. Um, and now that I, I no longer live in Asheville, I'm not around the church as much as I used to be. But um, I do go back a good amount of time to, to the city that is in Asheville, and I try to go back and, and see people and, and stay in touch. And so what is next for you? You have already such an impressive list of successful documentaries on your resume, so to speak. So what's your next project? Well, we're, we're trying to figure that out now, actually. I mean, I have a couple that are in the, in the pre-production phase, we would say, uh, that we're trying to, you know, raise some more money and do some more, um, you know, just, uh, investigating on different, on different topics. Um, but really right now, my, my focus is trying to get this project out into the world as best I can. Um, I want, I want people to see it. And, uh, that's a, you know, as I'm sure you're well aware, that's a, that's as time consuming as making the film sometimes is the distribution of it. So, um, we're getting ready to start some new projects, but we're still trying to see this one all the way to the end. 
Well, you've got some great, uh, a great team here of PBS and iTunes and all of those uh, other platforms that are helping you guys get the word out uh, starting May 1. Everybody can see it. What about uh, social media uh, links and any uh, website information for Theirs is the Kingdom? Sure. So if you visit um, our website, which is theirsisthekingdomfilm.com, we have information on there about uh, new streaming platforms and, and places as they as they come out. And then um, you can follow us on Instagram at Theirs is the Kingdom. Can't get any better than that. Well, this is, uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. As I said, I just kind of got, well, more than one time. I'm quick to cry. <laughs> so, but uh, it was a, it's a good way because it was, as I said to you earlier, it was done with so much compassion and, um, you know, it just kind of, you know, it just makes you reflect. It just does. Hmm. That's what good well, filmmaking I'm happy to hear is. that. Yes. Well, you guys did a wonderful job. Oh, I'm going to ask you this. Do you know what's going on for your, your artist, uh, Christopher Holt? Anything that he's working on that you know of? He just finished a large mural at the uh, Children's Hospital in Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh. And I believe he's been talking with some folks, not a fresco mural, but a, but a large-scale mural there. And I believe he's been talking with some folks maybe in Charlotte about a, a new fresco project. So... Fingers crossed that that happens. Oh, wow. He's a very talented, very talented artist, as people will see once they tune in. PBS, theirs is the kingdom, starting May 1. So this Christopher, the filmmaker Christopher, thank you so much yeah. for chatting with this, giving me some behind-the-scenes information uh, about the making of theirs is the kingdom. And congratulations on the success of it. Already it's a success. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it, and thank you for talking with me. Okay, have a great rest of the weekend. All right, take care. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, thank you so much, Christopher, uh, for giving us some behind-the-scenes information about his latest film, Theirs is the Kingdom. Again, it will be airing uh, tomorrow night on PBS, as well as iTunes and other uh, platforms. Like he said, just go to their website of the film and they have all of the different platforms that you can view the film. Theirs is the kingdom. Lots going on tomorrow night as far as uh, premieres and such. We do have um, The Color of Care with our guest earlier, uh, Dr. Neil Shaw, that will be airing again on the Smithsonian Channel. Check listings to get the exact time for you. And also, I want to thank our two guests from MTV's Help. I'm in a secret relationship, Travis Mills and Ronnie Jones, and that airs every Tuesday on MTV. Check your listings. It comes on at 9 p.m. here, but just to make sure, because the station streams nationally, we want to make sure you get the right uh, zip, not zip code, time zone, time zone, zip code. You know what? After a while, it just all mails together. Just one big old number. But anyway, the number is telling me we are out of time here as uh, we do about this time each week. So thank you listeners for joining us as always for another edition of Film Festival Radio Show. I think I might drink me a soda or something and go and play around on the strip to see what else is going on uh, as NFL Draft Week winds down. So we'll see you guys in the next edition of the show next Saturday. Take care. Have a great week and a great weekend. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another edition of Film Festival Radio. 
with your host, Janice Malone. Be sure to download this and other episodes at filmfestivalradio.com. Stop the